Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. to be here with you and to worship with you and to feed off of your grace and your collective heart and your single-mindedness as you worship the Lord. That makes a big difference in whether we break through the darkness that's overhead. We're all got the same words on our mind and our mouth, so... Thanks for helping me along. (laughs) Good morning. Um, I just uh, seem to still hold in my heart this exhortation and word that uh, Pastor Jenny brought out this morning about God being a God of hope. I just sense that, that somehow this is really important in the heart and mind of God today for you. Romans 15, 13. I think I got that right. It's either 15, 13 or 13, 15. And I sometimes stumble over that. But he is the God of hope who fills you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. So it's not just about you having this place of a good feeling, but it's about a restful confidence in who he is and his heart towards you. I love Peter because Peter reminds us that God is unwilling for any to perish. So when he draws us into his family, he does so through a great love for each of us as individuals. And he works in our lives because of the great love he has for us to be everything he has created us to be. We are individually special to God. And if we can simply learn to receive the goodness of God to us individually, we can find this place of joy and hope in believing that nothing ever separates us from his goodness and mercy and love. Today, we're going to hear some some wonderful, encouraging words out of the Bible. And I'm mindful today where Moses spoke to the people and said, Today I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And he exhorts the people to choose life. Choose life, because he is a God of life and liberty. And every word that comes out of his mouth is coming into our lives today, in this moment, to bring us into life and liberty. And I want to hold the joy and peace in believing so I can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How about you? I believe it. Amen. Amen. Good stuff, Steve. Uh, I'm going to pick up. I'm going to pick up on something that both uh, Pastor Jenny and Jean said about hope. I hadn't thought about this, but uh, Jean alluded in, in just a casual aside. There, she said she remarked about it was more than a good feeling. You know, if we tried to define what hope was, we might all get stuck because we think it's a good feeling. We think it's a good picture. But there are hopes that you have that perhaps you shouldn't have that are your hopes or there may be someone else's hope for you. But there is a hope that God has for you. And there is a hope that God wants to impregnate your spirit with, to inflame your imagination with. 
Now, darlings, they're not just any hope you can come up with. They're not necessarily somebody else's hope. They're hopes that are shaped through your own prayerful life as you read your Bible, as you, as you spend time in prayer. There are truths that come alive to you that aren't really somebody else's truth. They may have the same truth, but it's got to be true for you. In the earlier service, I remarked casually about 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And it says, now abides, now remains these three things, faith, hope, and love. Everybody knows, and Paul went on to say in that passage, that love was the greatest. But sometimes I think we've overlooked that probably hope was the second greatest. And yet, it's the most fragile of the three. It's very fragile. It's, it's uh, subject to weathering. It's subject to, to being tampered with and adjusted by circumstances and by fears and by the awkwardness of life, by even your own lack of, of follow-through or my lack of follow-through. You, you have to guard those hopes. You have to, it'd be a good thing, it'd be a good thing if you could select what a hope that God gave you was and write it down somewhere so that it could be when you looked at it inscribed upon the tablet of your heart so that it was a, a living hope, that it wasn't just a hope that your life would be better, that it, and that, that's an important hope. But God wants your spiritual life to be better that makes your natural life better, not your natural life better so that you don't have to make your spiritual life better. God works from the inside out. So there's things in life that don't seem to be what we want or good even, but sometimes, sometimes there's a dark place, a confusing place we walk through so that God's truths are shaped in our hearts so that we begin to see and think and feel and know and experience what he experiences. And when those hopes, when those hopes get past your hopes, when your hopes fall and dash to the ground, Abraham had the hope of having a child, so he tried to have one with, with Hagar. And that had mixed results that still continue on to today. But when it says in Romans that when all hope was gone, his hope prevailed, his hope came on. So there's a supernatural aspect of hope that's ever been as real, <coughs> excuse me, as the supernatural aspect of faith is. Your faith has to have something to attach itself to because faith activates, that hope activates that faith. They work together. So let God dream a dream in your heart. Let him show you what his dream for your life is and try your best not to fill in all the end expectations of what that might look like. Let him shape that because in the end, you'll be happier with what he drew in your heart than what you could inscribe on your tablet. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that all of the hopes that we have, which would pale in comparison to yours, that those hopes now fall in line and they take their order of precedence from you, that you cause your hope, your hope a living hope, a hope for salvation, a hope to know you, a hope to understand, a hope to grow in wisdom, a hope to walk in love, that the hope that you have for us <coughs> to
to fulfill the call and the grace that you've placed on our life, that those hopes would lodge in our heart and that they would ever draw us clearer and closer unto you, that the others may trail happily along behind, bringing the proper fruit in the proper season, but firstly, knowing that we're rooted and grounded in the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, did anyone bring their Bible? Let me, oh, now wait a minute. Let's all see our Bibles. You are clearly more spiritual than, than the first class because you clearly brought more Bibles, and I'm going to have to revise my theory. I was working on a theory that said the spiritual people who brought their Bibles came to the front of the church, but in this particular case, they're in the back. Jesus, give me wisdom now. No, he said, just preach and leave these people alone. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, it says, it meant so many other good things. In verse 16, rejoice always, which means more than be happy and sing a song. It Rejoice is a lovely word we won't get lost in, but rejoice fundamentally means lean towards the grace of God. And then because you lean towards the grace of God, then you can sing a happy song. You can have joy. All sorts of good things work because you're experiencing God's grace. You can't really rejoice without God's grace. That's the difference between just singing and actually worshiping. Pray, this translation says constantly. Uh, most translations, it means it the same way. It says unceasingly. That doesn't mean every time you draw a breath but it means to keep your prayers active. Keep, keep watching over your prayers to make sure they work and lay them down and pick them up, lay them down, pick them up, pick them up, carry them, lay them down and carry on with them. Pray through the things you have to pray about. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So that doesn't, of course, say that <clears throat> whatever's happening in your life is always the will of God for your life, but what is the will of God is that you're thankful at all times. Yes. You suppose you could actually be thankful if you didn't have a hope? I don't think you could because you would be so overwhelmed with what life could look like that you would not be able to be thankful. So evidently, rejoicing and praying have got a lot to do with building both joy and hope into your heart. So, I know in my own case, when my hope tank gets a little bit low, it's almost always directly associated with how low my prayer and my rejoicing tank is. I also know by experience that when I begin to pray and rejoice, when I particularly begin to pray and rejoice and build myself back up in the Word while I do, that my hope, that my joy, these things increase in my life. And even when I have to adjust the ones that are mine, in comparing them to the ones that God has for me, it's easy to do. It's easier to see. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. These are not just these goodbyes that are coming up here. So he says, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There is no circumstance that thanksgiving does not help both you and the circumstance. He says, do not quench the spirit. 
Do not despise prophesying. There's a link between quenching the spirit and despising prophetic utterances or despising anointed utterances. But instead, be willing to test everything. And this is not something we've done a great job of in our world, but test everything. In other words, test everything that's said. Test everything that's said. Don't let just people talk. You know, the difference, the biggest difference between today and the Old Testament is that in the Old Testament, there were only three people that had the franchise for the Holy Spirit. They were the prophet, priest, and king. But if you're born again, you've got the same spirit on the inside of you that the prophet, priest, and king had. So I'm, in the largest sense of the word, submitted and accountable to you. You've got, the, you've got him who knows all things living on the inside of you. You might not like what I say. You might not like the way I say it. But there's something on the inside of you that knows truth when you hear it. And if you know truth when you hear it, you know a lie when you hear it. So it's what it's meaning here is saying just don't believe somebody because they say something, but test it from that born-again place of your own heart where you recognize truth. Now, if you don't put Jesus Christ as the prime goal of your life, if you put any other human being or their words or their voice, I don't know why I'm saying this, but if you put any other person in your spiritual walk, their view of you, their opinion of you, their, their regard for you, their word for you, if you put anybody there above your stand with Jesus Christ, you are doomed to be deceived. But if you keep him first, if you run everything through the light of his word, by the power of his spirit, you will recognize truth and you may feel through the dark to find it, but you'll know the truth and the truth that you know will always set you free. You can't believe anybody else more than you believe Jesus. So, he says, do not quench the spirit, because it's easier just to get somebody to shut up, say, quit talking about stuff. We, we, we don't know how to test it, so just talk. Just stop talking about it. We don't know how to test these things, so just stop prophesying. We don't know how to test these things, so just stop preaching. That's, what, that's exactly what happens. We want to come to church. We want to hear from God, but we're very particular about how we hear from God. So he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and let what is not good slide away. Abstain from every form of evil. And so these are not just separate pieces of wisdom and advice. They're leading up to something. But he says, abstain from every appearance, from every form of evil. That means put the words to the test. You test my words. You're sitting there listening to me. You test my words and you leave here and you believe the ones that your heart bore witness with, the ones that you're not sure about, you hang on to. But at the same time, if I say something that's completely wrong, you, you need to come up to me after church and tell me I was completely wrong. Now, I'm going to warn you. You can tell me I'm completely wrong. I'll listen to you. But I might not believe you just because you said it. We might have to talk further. But what a wonderful church, what a wonderful place church would be if we could handle truth and not just try to make everything about our narrative of what truth was. Oh. Jesus is standing here with Pontius Pilate. 
the bad guys are saying things about Jesus that completely believe to be true. They're saying things about Jesus that are true. They said, he said he's the son of God. They said, our law says we're supposed to kill him. These things are true. That's their truth. Pilate says something. Jesus says, how'd you figure this out? They have this conversation about truth. And Pilate says, not flippantly, he says, what is truth? What is truth? There are a lot of things that are true, but the ultimate essence of truth is going to have to take all of those narratives into consideration. So church in the future, your spiritual life in the future is going to require you to love the truth that you live by your own narrative, but you're going to have to be willing and open to the fullness of God as it manifests and expresses himself to you in bigger truths than what you hold to by yourself. And in all of that, you're going to have to be able to measure it by the Holy Spirit and have your own heart bear witness with what is the full truth as we're all growing and moving together. This is no small task. Paul ends this paragraph himself by saying, pray for me. So he's not just saying, pray for me because you like me. These are serious issues that we have to face to grow in the grace and the kingdom of God, but I've gone off here a little bit. So he says, may the God of peace himself, this is in verse 23, when it says the God of peace, it means the God who makes everything whole and brings all the pieces back in together and makes the one, and that gives you peace. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly or completely, and may your whole spirit, this lives out whole, but whole supposed to be there. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So by just these few verses, you can see right there that, that there are some aspects of your spiritual growth that you can't do by yourself. That's really what I want you to see in this paragraph is that you can't make yourself grow up spiritually by setting your own pace, by setting your own walk, by setting your own agenda for what you think's right. All of us have truths that we live by. We do our best. We move along. But this is why we need each other. This is why we need to have intimate relationships, spiritual relationships with each other, where we share the truth and the life that we have. So we're not just looking for an experience. What we're looking for is the wisdom of God to be formed within us because before all of this is over, we're going to have had an opportunity to be joined and bonded together in one heart and in one mind, which that one heart, one mind with one word is what pushes against the powers of darkness and overcomes in the, in the aspects of spiritual warfare where we went. Did you ever wonder, did you ever wonder why when we come to church, there are times when we're worshiping God, you can sense the presence of God. Do you think it's the singing? It's not the singing. It's not the music per se. It's that we're all just for, I'm going to say this in quotes, the magical moment where we're all thinking the same thought and we're all saying the same words. And because we're all thinking the same thoughts and we're all saying the same words and they are not our words, they are 
an expression of God's words in agreement with God's word. It has the ability just for that season to push the darkness back and cause the light of revelation to shine. That's why when you come and there's a great spirit of worship, you learn things about yourself, you learn things about God that you didn't know before. It's not because you're special yourself. It's not because God said, I really like that song. It's not because, oh, he said, there's an anointing on that song, we're going to use that. It's none of that. It's that we've all come together with one heart, one mind, one voice, and we're saying something that causes the darkness to peel away and the light to shine and who he would be in my life, in your life, every minute of my existence is able to manifest itself because I've positioned myself for the light to shine. That's the truth. That's the gospel truth. There are people who know a lot more about this than I do, but that is the gospel truth as far as I know it. That's why it happens then. That's why it happens. It's not, it's not the team per se. They help or they can hinder. It's not the preaching. It's not you. It's not the guy next to you. It's the fact that you manage to all come into that sense of oneness. You can do that at home too. And you can do that at home, and you should do that all at home. Uh, when I pastored, actively pastored in years gone by, I would say, if you don't prophesy at home, please don't come to church and prophesy. Don't, don't, don't come practice on me. Don't you fix your meatloaf for me until you've eaten it yourself. Because <laughs> that looks scary. I want to see you taste it first. Yeah, yeah, you, you practice you practice at home and then you come to church and practice on another level, but you, you practice at home first. You practice and live your spirituality at home and find a place where God can connect to you and speak to you so that you know that sense of revelation there. It's a wonderful thing. We'll get back to the point, but it's a wonderful thing when you have God touch you deeply and intimately in your own privacy and you realize that God doesn't need everybody else to talk to you. You can hear it and receive it and grasp it yourself. And then it says that he'll sanctify you holy. So what the verse goes on and explains is that you can't do this yourself because it says he's faithful, he will do it. So there's evidently something about your spiritual growth that is something only he can provide. He didn't say church will provide it. He said listening to my, reading my letters will provide it. He didn't say that. He said he is faithful. He will do it. And he said he will sanctify you wholly so that your whole spirit, soul, and body is kept and preserved blameless, which implies that if you don't build a relationship with him, submitting to his truth and yielding to his truth where he can shape you and change you through every season of your life, that there are some aspects of you that can't be kept. He will do it. He will do it if you do the things that we read and the other things earlier in the chapter. He will keep you. He will hold you. He will sanctify you. But he lines something out there and he says your whole spirit, soul, and body. Most of us don't have spiritual trouble. Most of us can manage to control our body well enough to get by. We all got things to work on. But most of us can control those things. 
It's our mind that causes us the greatest problem. It's our soul, it's our feelings, it's our thoughts. It's our determination to live the truth that is important to us and not be willing to be open and receiving the rest of the truth that's in the Word of God. And this is where we win or we lose. You lose the battle for your joy or win the battle for your joy for your life in your willingness and in your ability to cause your mind to be set on the things that God thinks are important. Now, if we could take a pill, or if I could write that down in a prescription, and you could just go do it, we all would do it. But you can't even do that by yourself. There's a wonderful portion of Scripture, and we're going to read this right quick and close. I'm going to look over in Romans chapter 12 for time's sake. I've often thought in, my, in our earlier growth when we were first born again, Gene uh, and I were taught about the different things the Apostle Paul taught. We were taught primarily about Paul's theology. It wasn't the only thing we were taught, but it was, it was a big part of what we learned. And one of the platform planks of Paul's system of truth, what he calls his system of truth, was about mind renewal. And it was about having your mind changed. Now, you can't, you can't actually renew your own mind. All you can do is put yourself in a position where God can. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, or I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That you may prove, other translations say, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The will of God, though it gets tricky in the language, the will of God comes out in degrees. There's things that are the will of God, but there are other things that you kind of feel your way into the will of God that are not that easy to find out. You, it, you, to get it perfect... To get it mature, to get it to be all you can be, you kind of have to feel your way into it. So your Christian life, my Christian life, is an exercise in moving forward and attempting to learn as we go. That's that talks about in Hebrews. It says, who have their senses exercised by practice to discern both good and evil. Give yourself room to grow. Give yourself room to change. Don't let the fact that you're less than perfect now hinder you and cause you to stay where you're at. All of us in this room have room to grow and be made better, more perfect in Christ, but it's through that growing process that is often painful, and sometimes it's embarrassing, sometimes it's disappointing, but we have to keep changing, we have to keep growing, because that change is the proof that God is in our lives, working in our heart, and shaping us into who he wants us to be. That's the greatest thing you can do to promise yourself long life on the planet is to keep growing and changing. The greatest thing you can do to have a useful ministry or a useful business or a useful contribution to society is keep changing so you make the people and the institutions around you into a better place. He said that you do this by the renewing of your mind. That means 
changing of your thoughts. A companion verse over in Ephesians chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but verse 22 through 24, 22 says, take off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. Now, you do know that there's an old man and a new man. And you know that the old man likes to smoke. And he likes to cause trouble. Now, not me. I don't mean me. But I knew people like this. That old guy caused trouble. If I try to put the new man over the top of him, if I try to be a Christian and I don't want to take off my fear, my anger, my rejection, my bitterness, my jealousy, my own personality, my wounds, but I try to say, let's put clothes on and go to church, it's going to be something that's not really tasty. You know, I like soup, but when you pour gasoline in it, it's not so tasty. So both of those substances have their place, not mixed together. You have to take off the old guy before you can put the new guy on. You can't just ignore the old guy. You've got to take him off. But it says you can't just put on the new guy because you don't know exactly how to put that new guy on. It says you do so by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, Gene and I have talked about this many ways. The first verse we read over in Romans chapter 12 about mind renewal talked about being transformed. It didn't say you transform yourself. It said being transformed like something that's done to you. It's not your thoughts that need to change. It's the way that you think that needs to change. And you can't change the way that you think. Only God can change the way that you think. You can, you can take a thought, you can pull a thought down and take it captive, but you can't change that thought from trying to slip back in. And if you don't change how you process and value information, that thought will find its home right back, swept and clean and live right there again. You've got to be willing to change who you are because when you change your thinking about who you are, everything about your life changes. But I'm compelled to say, that being changed and growing more like Christ actually made my life better. It actually worked. I couldn't make it work, but it made me more satisfied, more happy, more fulfilled. It caused me to be spiritually prosperous, emotionally prosperous, physically more prosperous because, not because I did it, but because of the changes that God brought to pass in my life. When it says God sanctifies you, Holy, spirit, soul, and body. He means he wants to take all of you and not just clean you up, but he wants to make you different. You were made different. The seed was planted. You were set to be changed forever when you were born again. But still, it takes the ongoing work and your agreement to that work for you to be shaped and for you to be reshaped so that not just your body's better, not just your heart's better, but so that your soul is changed. I'll conclude, and he said, he is faithful, he will do it. There is a you living on the inside of you 
that is profoundly beautiful. There is a perfect you living there wait to be, waiting to be unwrapped and discovered that is wise, that is knowing, that is loving, that is understanding, that is strong, that is humble, that knows when to be meek, that knows when to stand up and make a sound. There is a you living on the inside of you that is so beautiful that if you knew who you really were, you'd do everything you could to let that work continue on so that the wrapping came off, the papers were put away, and the beauty of the true instrument, the truth, was able to come forth in you and come forth through you. Because it's not just enough in God's economy to make you pretty. He wants to stand you up in your beauty so that he can shine his light not just in you, not just to you, but shine his light through you so the rest of the world sees the reality of who you've become knowing full well that you could not do this to yourself. Stand up with me if you would. Do you have anything to say, sweetie? Come along. Come along. So, you know, God is uh, endeavoring to breathe new life into some hearts this morning. Um, working to bring you to a place of joy and peace in believing once again. It was interesting as we began to talk about the God of hope, I felt like I was hearing someone say, I'll never hope again. I've, I've been hurt. Motivation of never hurt, hoping again is I've been hurt and will not allow myself to trust. And then I heard the Spirit of God bring to my remembrance the scripture out of Jeremiah where it talks to the people of Israel about forsaking the fountain of living water. Jesus is a river of life that is always flowing to us. Acts 3.16, Peter and and, uh, John have gone to the temple to pray. They come to the man that's lame at the temple. And they don't have silver and gold, but what they have, they give to the man. And it's in the name of Jesus, rise and be healed. And the man is healed, dramatically healed, perfectly whole. Peter says, "Um, why do you look at us as if we're something special, as if by our own holiness we've done this? It's in the name, and it's faith in the name, that this man is whole back to that place of wholeness again. I believe the Spirit of God is endeavoring to bring us all into a place of wholeness. Sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body, to bring life and liberty into each and every one of us. So Jeremiah said, you've forsaken the fountain of living water. I'm, I'm the life that you're looking for. When you get your eyes on people and people disappoint you, which they always will, people will fail us all at some point. If our conf- We fail each other. It's true. It's human nature. If my confidence is in man, my heart will be diminished, discouraged. But when I hope in God, 
Hope in God is what the Bible tells me to do. Hope in God. So that no matter what man does to me, no matter what betrayal, no matter what pain, no matter what failure they've brought into my life, God is greater than that and desires to heal that. These are the things that bring disruption to me, spirit, soul, and body. Three areas, of the most important areas of my life, spirit, soul, and body. And he is the one that desires for us to turn aside from the broken cisterns that we have uh, grabbed a hold of. Broken cisterns that hold no water is what the portion of scripture goes on. You've forsaken this and then you've built yourself these other cisterns, but they're broken. They're broken systems, broken cisterns, and they can't hold the water. They can't hold the water. So today I believe the Spirit of God is wooing us <laughs> by such great love. Gosh, if, if we could just ever open up our hearts and receive the immense love and mercies that God has for us and realize that all he ever brings us into is life, we would run to him. I believe the Spirit of God is endeavoring to bring the wholeness to us this day so that whatever is not whole can be healed and restored by his great love and mercies. So can we receive that? I liked what uh, Jenny said to us this morning. Put your hand on your heart. There are things that, like David said, we can't do this, but God can. And I believe that there is a grace here, especially for the person that said, I'll never trust again. I believe that the grace of God and his immense love to you has come this day for you so that hope will arise hope will rise where there is death that has worked resurrection life will bring hope alive so father right now may the release of your healing grace flow in this house today may it rest upon each and every heart as they turn to the fountain of living waters let your hope flow. Let your grace flow. Let healing work in these hearts, O oh God, that they may be strengthened unto life, that they may strengthen, be strengthened unto joy. May they be strengthened unto peace. May resurrection life set them free. I speak resurrection life to hopelessness in this house today. I speak resurrection life to hopelessness in hearts today. I say let life and hope and freedom rise now in Jesus' name to the glory of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. May the God of peace, the God of wholeness, the God of oneness, sanctify you all completely spirit soul and body he is faithful what he has begun 
In Jesus' name, he will continue. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.